Welcome to TSE Pods, the official podcast of the Taipei School of Economics and Political Science. Today, let's re-log in the world of AI and understand the trend that is staying in the world bite by bite. I'm Kurt Abalos, and join me in today's episode with your cup of coffee as we engage in an enlightening conversation with some of the brightest minds in the field of political science and economics. In its third and last installment on artificial intelligence, this 15-minute episode will give you more on the latest developments in AI regulation and international discourse. Joining us today, again, is Dr. Yves Tiberji, one of the teaching faculty members here at TSE. Without further delay, let's begin. Could you say, like, uh, it's evident, it's an example of how world leaders are committed to global governance despite their differences. For some, for, for, in my perspective, I can see that the, the Chinese and the US, the Europeans, they have compartmentalized the relationship when it comes to AI. They understand there is a baseline when it comes to humanity to which they all agree in common ground, but they push back on certain aspects that um, are unique to their own circumstance. For example, you mentioned that for AI, for China, it's meant to control society, maintain order and peace. For the U.S., it's meant to keep ahead of the Chinese and maintain technological dominance over the superiority or dominance over the other. Right, and for EU, it's more about human rights and, and human rights and democracy and quality of information and avoiding misinformation, avoiding also manipulation. For example, the mm-hmm. Parliament says there's three things that we consider as a threat to people and that should be banned entirely in the EU and they hope to upload it globally. One is cognitive behavioral manipulation of people or vulnerable groups. For example, voice-activated toys that encourage dangerous behavior in children. Hmm. Number two, social scoring, which is something China (laughs) is doing, but the EU just said it's unacceptable. Uh, Classifying people based on behavior, socioeconomic status, or personal characteristics. And number three, real-time and remote biometric identification systems such as facial recognition. So the EU is saying this is unacceptable risk on mm. a human rights perspective. We're banning it. So here we, we don't find the same list with China. Uh, but at the same time, China still worries about not going too far. I mean, there is a limit. Uh, mm. They have a worry about some existential limits, but mm. they also have those major differences. Then they list a bunch of things that are high risk, including law enforcement, migration, legal interpretation. So the EU is much more on right, whereas the US is much less on right and more on maintaining dominance Mm -hmm. and and supporting its company and Mm -hmm. slowing down competition from China. But with the executive order, they do bring now an issue as well on... uh, on rights, so that that just got added in the executive order. Okay. Um, so there is an interesting combination here uh, how they will bring all this. But you're right. Fundamentally, I would agree with you that at Bletchley, there was that sense of commonality of humanity, and that's interesting. So when when you hear the, the Washington Declaration of Beijing, you don't hear that. But in Bletchley, they were able to sit together and mm. discuss about the common good side of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's good news to know mm-hmm. that <laughs> world leaders have mm-hmm. common sense or have the common baseline to all agree upon. Because 
one of the main worries for tech races are always um, mis, uh, miscalculation or um, misinterpretation of one's interests. And there is no communication with the other side, which ends up being a cold war, being very paranoia and inducing. But um, could, in your own perspective, is this the best for AI development Given that we under, given that we uh, countries have their own interests at hand, is this the best setup we can have at the moment? It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> because the risks are so high. Uh-huh. The best setup would be really robust, uh, you know, global governance like a UN summit, a G20 summit, and and really go through everything with a minimum of trust mm. and put that first. Mm. Whereas right now the global good is secondary to the competition. Mm. So it's more, after we do the competition and as intense as we can, let's do what we can uh, on I the see. global side. So the, the priority is reverse. Uh, the other aspect is it's extremely dynamic. Uh, we're not in an equilibrium yet. And by the way, the, the, this AI situation shows an extreme interdependence that was not present during the first Cold War. So actually, mm-hmm. the, the common interests, the human interests that are common are so great because we're talking existential risk, right? This is, when we say existential risk, we're saying it's nothing like humans have ever seen. If we make some wrong moves, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. So the stakes are so extreme that it's not a time to just do normal competition and war, right? Mm-hmm. You, we'll be gone if we do this. I see. And so they have not yet fully realized what it means. It mm. means we're so interdependent and we face such common risks that this should trump the Cold War and the, and the competition. And yet we're not yet at that realization. Mm. There is great interdependence around AI. And by the way, mechanically, AI is still interdependent. In fact, between US and China, uh, the algorithms are still open platform. And they're completely accessible by all. So the Chinese scientists have access to everything on Llama, for example, that's done by Meta. Mm-hmm. Um, and all AI algorithms tend to go on platforms like that. And those things have not yet been disconnected. The US hesitate to disconnect it, <laughs> but they could end up doing this if they go tit for tat, right? Mm-hmm. But if they disconnect it, then they will start to be isolation of algorithms. That will mean you can be surprised because the two sides will not know what the other side is doing. Mm. Whereas right now they know what each side is doing because mm. it's interdependent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a lot of flow of people. You know, the U.S. doesn't generate enough talent on its own, whereas China does. And a lot of the U.S. talent on AI, maybe as much as a third of the U.S. talent is Chinese. Mm. You know, Chinese who have immigrated to U.S. Mm. Uh, and so what, what will U.S. do about that, right? And if that human connectivity was broken, again, you would uh, generate massive misunderstanding and potential surprise. But right now, those systems are highly interdependent. And technology is interdependent. The financing was interdependent. Um, American venture capital did finance a lot of Chinese AI in the early days, you know, if we go back 10 years. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting how intertwined all this was. Uh, and now we are trying to, to disembed it, beginning with the hardware, with the you know, GPU and the chips. But 
the issue is how far will it go, right? Because security folks have, you know, have ever expanding interests, right? Once you have done this, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that. But uh, at some point, we hit the the limit of what's still a common interest. And so there's going to be an intense effort to sort out those things in mm. the coming years. But that shows that we cannot do a Cold War like before because, you know, what is an existential risk technology is deeply intertwined and interconnected. Mm. I don't know how you can break all the connectivity. Mm. Uh, and if we did, we might actually fall in the existential risk because mm-hmm. then you have an ever escalation between two sides that, that could end up killing humanity. I see. Uh, so the stakes are very high now. It's very high. Yeah, that, that's why, you know, I'm struck also by there's so many outdated uh, people, right? <laughs> you know, like they always say, oh, okay, let's do a game plan about this war or that war. Okay, if this happens, we'll have this war. Let's uh, do a, you know, we can do war games and plan how we go in. This is so outdated. The war today between US and China could potentially destroy the world. Mm. So instead of doing game plan, we have to find through deterrence and reassurance how we don't have that war. Otherwise, you know, we cannot be that stupid as humans. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we have to really invest in this rather than have 19th century thinking, right? Mm. We are in the 21st century with technologies that cannot afford to have a general war. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so now that we've mm-hmm. covered like countries mm-hmm. specifically on AI, let's look at uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned or you sent to me a few days ago about the G7's statement in Tokyo. Um, what's it called? Uh, yeah, the Hiroshima process of code of conduct for developing advanced AI systems. Could you tell me more about that? Yeah, so this year we have a, a proliferation everywhere, right? It's very, very interesting. Uh, so the Hiroshima was in May, yeah, just before the EU regulations were promulgated. Uh, but so it's an effort. So every group, by the way, is talking about AI, right? Even the BRICS had an AI paragraph. You know, everyone is doing AI. But mm-hmm. the G7 version, it's one uh, where there's a, a lot of common ground, right? The common ground is around uh, all those principles actually close to Europeans, that is the desire to have human-centered, rights-respectful AI mm-hmm. that doesn't support uh, you know, authoritarian rule but protect human, uh, human rights and, and democracy, right? That's the general thrust. And, and so they, they then promise to cooperate over this, right? And to, uh, among all the G7 and, and with other partners, uh, on generating ethics and generating rules and guardrails. Uh, so it, it was a little bit ideological, but it papers over major differences between U.S. and Europe, right? U.S. and Europe have major differences. Mm-hmm. In particular, for example, the EU says, we're going to ban AI that's not watermarked. But the U.S. has not yet uh, required watermarking, and the company is all American. So if the EU regulation is ahead of the US, then you have an US-EU fight because now the EU is regulating American companies. Uh, so we have all this, right? And then the EU may well say at some point, some companies are too big and we have oligopolistic concentration. That's bad for democracy. They could end up trying to break up American companies, which the US will fight. So all this is papered over in the G7 statement, but instead it has the summary of what they agree upon 
mm. which is uh, you know the more political side of how you know they want a society that's uh, that protects human rights and, and democracy. Um, so that's one uh, and. I know the Japanese were pushing for it uh, because that follows the Osaka Declaration in 2019 on data free flow. So they're trying to push uh, you know, a democratic approach to the governance of AI. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, how about, let's say, is there a G20 version or not yet? The G20 <laughs> is because I, minuscule. I mean, minuscule. Because uh, I understand G7 is just made up of top seven economies and none of them have the inclusion of um, developing economies right. like you have in G20 you have China Indonesia India, um, India Argentina yeah. Brazil these yeah. are the global south that yeah. need to be represented right. in global governance uh, so yes you were saying it's minuscule in scope yeah. by the way G7 are not the top seven economies because China is number two and India is number four, right? And they they used to be, uh -huh. but now China and India are part of the, uh, of the top seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, Canada and Italy were pushed down, <laughs> <laughs> but they still meet. So it's the, it's the peak of the West, right? The G7. Ah, it's the Western, Western economic democracies. Uh -huh. okay. uh, mostly it's Europe, Japan, US. Uh, that's what they mean. Okay, thank um, you. But yeah, so the G20, the last two G20 declarations have a little section on AI. They mostly focus on empowerment and growth. Let's use, let's diffuse the technology to enable growth and development. Mm. That, they have a whole language on that. Uh, and then they say we need uh, ethical AI and human-centered AI. Mm. And that's it. It's one line, right? And there's no... Uh, working group, there's no resolution, there's no declaration, there is no emphasis on existential risk. So basically the G20 is behind, it's totally behind the, the stakes and, and the speed I because see. they can't agree. Um, yeah, they can't agree on all this. There's too much mistrust because, uh, you know, say a country like India believes that the West is going to try to slow them or impose a lot of regulations and spread, stop the spread of technology or force India to have free flow of data mm -hmm. when India wants to keep its own data to train its own AI. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, freedom, freedom of data is support for the top three American companies. <laughs> That's very true. So it's oligopolistic, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. So the, the emerging giants like Indonesia are saying they don't want that free flow of data because it's just serving the oligopolistic American company or Chinese. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so it's, yeah, the agreement is not that simple. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, okay, um, maybe just like one mini question. I remember in class you mentioned, or the readings mentioned that AI governance, um, there's a whole debate on how AI global governance should look like? Should it be a united under one organization or should it like be a fractured wherein different organizations specialize in different aspects of AI development? And I want to hear your thoughts. What is your best take given the cir current circumstances of uh, increasing hegemonic tensions and uh, you have corporate uh, uh, innovations that have no regulations whatsoever and sometimes venture off into very... Uh, Info, not infamous, but rather controversial mm. um, AI technology. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So this is where we enter into the unknown, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, because yes, in the ideal world, we would have, you know, agreements on limitation. For example, when when it was about exploration of space, or exploration of Antarctica, or nuclear testing, there was a UN treaty, everybody agreed, and that constrained the behavior. And we have no more destruction of Antarctica, we, we had something against weapons in space, and everybody did it, and boom, it's done, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the ideal. But with AI, it's not going to happen, because the stakes are too high, it's too unknown, and... Um, and also, it's very, very hard to monitor because it's moving so fast and it's, some of it is decentralized. So very hard to do a peak uh, you know, regulation like this. Um, so we are going to need probably to have a very unusual, maybe something very innovative, but very multiple centers of regulation and multiple centers of innovation some of it will be national. So there's no question that given that most major AI companies that are pushing the frontier are in the US and China, the US and China are the first movers. Mm. And so their own national regulation is immensely important. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, well, currently, I don't know, 70% of major action is US and 30% Chinese or or 50-50, whatever the ratio is, but everyone else is behind because you need so much concentration of resources and data. Uh, and the way, you know, the way e-commerce and all this started, for some reason, the companies managed to convince the users that they could have Facebook for free or they could have things for free, but, but all the data be owned by the company, not by the user. So we have a few companies that own tons of data and they are the ones who are running now forward with AI. Of course. Um, but those are primarily American and, and Chinese. Mm. Uh, so, so for the rest of the world, even the EU is a product because they are smarter. They understand what needs to be done, mm. but they don't control the companies. Mm. Uh, but they're going to try to use the size of the EU market mm. to impose those regulations on Americans and Chinese. Mm. Uh, although the Chinese are mostly walled off anyway, so not that operating in, in, in Europe. But for the US... So we have major tension between the U.S. and EU, right? <laughs> uh, Interesting. Time. So there's going to be so the U.S. EU thing will even almost be bilateral. So there'll be a U.S. EU bilateral coming to an agreement. Mm. There will be U.S. regulations. So that's why the executive order from Biden administration is very very important. Mm-hmm. And then there will be the Bletchley process. Actually, seems to be a good process. To my surprise. Uh, at least it generates common understanding and a an, nice conversation. But whether it gets anywhere that has teeth, that part I don't know. <laughs> ah, <laughs> whether it's just superficial. Uh-huh. Um, ultimately, there has to be something in the G20. Uh, the UN will try to do in its summit of the future next year, will, wants to do AI regulation and, and come up with something. But if the U.S. and China don't let the U.N. do it, and the U.S. will not, <laughs> then it won't matter. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very complicated, right? <laughs> <sighs> um, so f- right now, everybody is going to innovate. We're going to try from many directions. Mm. And by the way, the science community is critical because the science community understands when the rest of us don't understand. Of course. It's moving so fast and it's so ahead, and they're divided. Mm. So you have a whole bunch on one side, you know, Jeff Hinton, even Elon Musk, 
calling for fast regulation and they call for government to intervene. Mm -hmm. And then you have others, including Facebook, particularly Meta and a few others who are saying no. Uh, and they, they tend to be libertarian anyway. They think the good world should be completely free and led to companies. But that freedom will be the freedom of the powerful companies. Mm -hmm. And there will be 10% superhumans, <laughs> or 1% superhuman with all the money and 90% underhumans. Mm. Uh, Stuck in the past. Yeah. Or so to speak. Actually going downward yeah. uh, and becoming slaves or something. That's uh, Harari's book, Homo, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Homo sapiens, the other book, the um, Harari book, uh, mm. looks at the future of the world and he has Homo Deus, right? He mm. has a, few, a couple percent of Homo Deus, the, the god humans, who now have managed to get extreme wealth, prosperity, extreme capabilities, mm -hmm. and they can live longer and all this with AI-generated super health. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then 95% of humans become uh, almost useless, he called them, because <laughs> all those super technological stuff are too expensive for most humans. And then the rich don't need any more of the other humans because robots can do everything. Oh uh, so there is risk for extreme exactly. fragmentation of society. Let's not hope that happens, because to my understanding, AI is like any other tool that was invented before AI. And it was meant not to replace labor, but to elevate labor, right. to um, equip humanity with better tools to be right. more productive. But it was never meant or should never be meant to essentially replace the human factor in an economy or society. Yeah. And I mean, that is the problem nowadays with companies that look after profit and efficiency right. over the humanity itself or over right. societies. Um, purpose because it's on the US side all the future benefits which are infinite mm. are controlled by very few companies and yeah. with very few staff mm -hmm. and they literally now can see a future that nobody has seen before where they control the world mm. uh, <laughs> and so you're going to need extremely strong government power to okay. stop this and intervention. Yeah. You need to intervene in a property right regime. Uh -huh. You need to intervene through taxation. You need to intervene through regulation. Right now, the U.S. government is not willing to do that. Mm. Actually, there's more hope on China, ironically, because right. you have a strong government yeah. that may act against the, the private sector. So, That's true. I mean, we have twin dangers with AI. We have authoritarian governments are a danger, like China, but extreme oligopolistic control is also, by a small company, is an extreme danger too. Mm. Both are dangerous. Mm. Uh, and the public good is one for everyone else that requires balancing, right? Yes. And yes. spreading of the good. Otherwise, the extreme benefits of AI will be concentrated, extremely yes. concentrated. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. So right now, I just want to tell our audience that we've addressed three questions. So what are leading organizations for AI regulation, such as the G7, um, G20, or UN organizations, or different um, separate organization, uh, intergovernmental arms that in different processes of AI development, the countries, specific states, regulation, and their uh, effects on world regulation, as well as the existential crisis that we all must face when it comes to little regulation of AI. So that, I thank you, Professor Tibujin, for your time and for your insights on this very pressing issue that we need to address. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that ends our episode. 
We hope we gave you basic information on AI and that your interest peaked throughout the episode for you to learn more later on. Thanks again for your time and we look forward to you tuning in. Again, this is Kurt Abalos of TSC Pods. See you next time with your cup of coffee.